like to invite the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. Now, in the last uh, couple of weeks, we have been talking about the subject of judging, uh, how not to do it, and then how to do it and what it means to have a good judgment. And predominantly, uh, if I were to summarize what Jesus has to say about the subject, it is look in the mirror before you tackle anybody else. <laughs> Make sure that you know what you look like. Beginning in verse 43, after he kind of completes that section, he says, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart." Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. You know, a lot of people uh, hear Jesus' message about judgment. And um, I think particularly in our present culture the way it is where we have so much to say about um, pluralism and about um, you know tolerance and all of those kinds of things and then we hear as Christians the message of Christ about the subject of judging I think we erroneously draw the conclusion that we're not to ever pass any kind of judgment that's a wrong conclusion um, there are things that are clearly wrong. There are people who are clearly bad. And there are behaviors that are unacceptable. And Jesus is not telling us that we need to be blind to that reality. What he is saying is that we need to be wise in how we go about it. We need to make sure we've taken that inward look and and evaluated our own logs uh, before we go uh, to attempt to bring repair. And in this particular transitional paragraph in his discourse, he talks about two kinds of trees. And he says you can know the kind of tree you're dealing with by the fruit that grows on it. Now, a lot of people that are skeptical and like to uh, find fault with the Bible, uh, and I've, I bring this up because I've heard it, they immediately point to that and say, well, 
Even apple trees will have some bad apples on them. And if you've ever been apple picking, uh, you know that that's the case. Uh, some of them have already begun to, they've got spots, they start to rot. Some of them have holes, which means something is or was living in it, probably was and crawled out. But anyway, uh, you, you realize that, you know, an apple tree can be a, a good apple tree and have some bad fruit. Jesus is not saying in the passage that a good tree has a hundred percent grade A number one delicious wonderful blemish free fruit what he's saying is you're not going to find apples growing on a thorn bush you're not going to find grapes growing in a briar patch you find fruit in the kind of tree that bears it and an apple tree bears apples and grapevines bear grapes and thorn bushes have thorns and he says you can tell what kind of tree you're dealing with by what you find among its fruits that simplifies it and it also clears it up and and, and makes it readily accessible to us and he's not telling us that we are not to pay attention to the fruit in people's lives In fact, we make those kinds of judgments all the time, and we do so legitimately. Um, When the scripture says, uh, when you're looking for deacons, don't select novices. Uh, Look for people that have certain qualities in their lives. Um, Look for elders that have certain qualities. When our nominating committee convenes, one of the things we have to consider is who is exhibiting these qualities. Now, You can look at that very positively and say, who is showing these qualities? But what it boils down to is that you're starting to separate the flock a little bit and say certain people meet this criteria and other people don't. We have to make these judgments. We don't uh, put anybody that wants to work with children in responsible places with children. We evaluate their lives. We do background checks. We want to know, is this person uh, able to be involved with children in a way that the children will be safe? We make judgments. We make evaluations. Um, And Jesus says this is appropriate. We need to be those kinds of people who can discern and determine by looking at the fruit that we see in people's lives, what kind of tree is bearing it. And for those who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ and are filled with His Spirit, we're told there are specific kinds of fruit we should find among the branches. Fruit like love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and patience and long-suffering. We're supposed to be able to find certain kinds of fruit among followers of Christ who are filled with the Spirit, because we find the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And quite honestly, if we don't find that fruit, then we are looking at someone who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. Even if we're looking in the mirror and it's myself that I find is lacking this kind of fruit, that's the assessment. So Jesus makes this 
this uh, statement, and kind of in conclusion of that, of that section on judgment, that you can know a tree by the fruit it bears. And as believers, we're to be wise. We're to be discerning. We're to pay attention. And, and we're to notice, you know, what's going on around us so that we don't make really strategic and sometimes very dangerous uh, sorts of errors. I, I often think of the passage where Jesus says, um, where it's said of Jesus, he was entrusting himself to no man because he knew what was in the heart of man. Do you have a question, Todd? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. I love that. What about people that are oak trees and don't produce fruit? Well, there are acorns on the ground usually. <laughs> there's, there's some kind of fruit there. But they're stalwart and they're stable, aren't they? You know, you look at an oak tree and you say, well, that's an oak tree. You know, it's strong. And uh, so you, you still know the tree by its shape and branches, don't you? Yeah, it still holds. And if you find acorns, it's kind of a giveaway. Um, then Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say to you? Now, when I read the scriptures, one of the things I look for uh, are kind of hooks that I can hang my thoughts on. And, and I look to see how the passage sort of breaks down. And as I begin to read this passage... Jesus is about to tell us a story that has to do with his disciples either doing or not doing the things he says, either paying attention and following him or not following him. And he gives three components to what you might think of as complete discipleship. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them is like a man who built his house and dug a deep foundation and laid it on a rock. Now I want us to think about those three statements a, a bit because there's, there's three specific components to uh, the person who has a stable life. First of all, everyone who comes to me, and we need to recognize uh, right out of the gate that not everyone who comes to Jesus ends up following Jesus. Many people come to Jesus. And we have a tendency to think in our minds that, that well, that's the, that's the grand step. That, that's it. You, Come to Jesus and you have eternal life. Well, that's not what the scripture says. In fact, we're told stories, for example, like this rich young ruler who one day came to Jesus and he said to him, uh, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And we could spend a lot of time on that story because there's all kinds of implications and, and hidden things uh, in the question. But Jesus immediately says to him, why do you call me good? Uh, there's none good except God. And then moving right along, he says, well, keep the commandments. Now, Jesus is going for the heart here. 
and in his perception, he sees us, he's already sized this fellow up and seen his problem. You know, and you can you can kinda you can kinda see that person coming. And he says to him, Keep the commandments. And this uh, young man says, Well, I've done that. I, I've kept my com- I've kept the commandments from my youth. Every one of them. Well, that's naive at best. Um, he very superficial. He has no idea what he has just said. Um, all of us have broken the commandments. Every one of us. But in this young man's eyes, he he was a good Jew following God and obeying the teaching. And so Jesus said, well, okay, that's good. So there's only one more thing that you need to do. You need to sell everything you own and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now don't forget the young man's original question. He did not ask, what must I do to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? He said, what must I do to have eternal life? That was his question. It's the salvation question. And Jesus' answer is, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, Jesus is actually still in what, if we were going to analyze this, we would call pre-evangelism, because he's trying to acquaint this man with his need and his failure. And the man, I can just see his wheels turning, and I can see him thinking about this for a moment. And then the scripture says he went away sorrowfully. He wanted eternal life. But he turned and walked away from Jesus because Jesus said, it will cost you everything you own. And the commentary that the gospel writer makes was, for he was very wealthy. You know his problem? Jesus was starting to break down this statement, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And he's just pointed out to this young man that he's already broken the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. And he's basically put his finger on the fact that this young man's money is his God. And he is not willing to surrender that God in order to follow the living God. And it cost him eternal life, and Jesus let him walk. And the young man went away sorrowfully. It wasn't an issue that everyone has to give up their riches to come to Jesus. But it is an issue of who's first, what's most important. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. John chapter 3, we learn about that. Um, Nicodemus uh, had all kinds of questions, again, about eternal life. And and he started to ask them. And Jesus began to give him an explanation of the new birth. And Nicodemus just kind of scratched his head and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus says to him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? 
because they're really all through the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Nicodemus didn't have that separation, but we know that now, that the, the Jewish scriptures are our Old Testament, and they speak of the new birth. Nicodemus had no understanding of that. We don't read where Nicodemus became a faithful follower of Christ. Tradition suggests that he did, but we don't have any gospel follow-up accounts of how uh, you know, he became a faithful follower of Christ. But he had a lot of questions. The crowds came to Jesus. The sick came to Jesus. The demonized came to Jesus. The hungry came to Jesus. A lot of people came to Jesus. Very few of them followed him. On one occasion he fed 5,000. On another occasion he fed 4,000. He healed all the sick that were brought to him. But how many were in that upper room when Pentecost came who were waiting for the promise of the Father? 120 people. And how many people saw him after the resurrection with their own eyes? 500 people at one time is the largest record that we have. Out of the thousands and thousands throughout the the Jordan Valley that had come to Jesus, in the end, the disciples could be numbered in the hundreds at best because most of them did not go beyond just inquiring And then Jesus says, who comes to me and hears my words. Some people go beyond the coming. They they actually hear, they listen, they they start to uh, be intrigued. Many uh, people in the crowds were drawn to Jesus. They They hung on his words. They were amazed. He spoke to them like someone who had authority, not like their scribes and Pharisees and teachers that they were used to. Jesus really captured their attention. Uh, You know, uh, through the years I've seen a lot of people who are enamored with the words of Christ. But then they don't particularly put them into practice. I've met people who want to debate the Bible. I've met people who study the Bible uh, just simply to analyze it and have a good conversation The Pharisees listened to the words of Jesus so they could contradict him. People have all kinds of reasons for listening. Because listening in and of itself is still not the crucial step that needs to be taken in order to seal that commitment and that relationship. You must come to Jesus, you must hear his words, and you must act on them. You must take definitive action. And so Jesus says, I will tell you whom the person is like that comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man who builds a house and he digs down to the bedrock and he builds his house on that foundation. Um, I have done a lot of building in my life in years past, and I worked down in Florida for a while where there's a lot of sand. 
And uh, many times you can't get past the sand. You keep digging and you keep digging and there's just more sand. And so uh, when uh, a particular project I worked on in West Palm Beach, we were building some fire stations and um, we dug down deeply and we excavated what we called footings and we filled them with steel and when we had tied the steel together in a certain configuration we poured them full of concrete and we started down well below the surface of the ground to begin to build up the the block that we also poured periodically the webbing with with steel and concrete so that that foundation and the block was well below the surface and firmly anchored so that it wouldn't be swept away. Jesus says he envisions these two builders. One of them, uh, they live by a stream, a river. One of them uh, digs down until he hits rock and he excavates and he starts his house down by the rock and he begins to build it up until he gets to ground level and you backfill everything and you just keep going. Another man looks at it and says, man, that seems like a lot of trouble. <laughs> I'm just going to just kind of level the ground out here and just start building. But what happens when the storm comes and the stream overflows and the current gets swift and begins to go by those houses, I don't know if you've ever watched, I've actually seen this, and it's, it's, a, it's phenomenal. It begins to sweep the sand away, and then it gets under the walls, and they crumble, and then eventually there's no house. But if the house is down on the rock, the sand can be swept, the water can swirl by, but the house remains. Jesus has actually given us a success plan that actually works. You know, there are a lot of ideas out there for success, how to have a successful life. And I've heard a lot of motivational speakers through the years, and you see commercials on television, you know, how to have a successful life, and you, you can read books and all these kinds of things, but, but none of those really uh, stand the test of time. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you a formula that will guarantee success. Now, I, I want you to connect with this. This is really important, and, and it's, re it's really vital. I don't know when you came to Christ. I don't know how old you were, necessarily. Uh, I've heard some of your testimonies. Others of you, I haven't. But, um, but if you are a follower of Christ today, if you're a Christian... There was a time when you made a decision to commit your life to Christ and trust Him for the forgiveness of your sin and for eternal life and to receive Him as your Lord and Savior, to, to just follow Him. You, you made that choice. And here's what I know about you. When you made that decision, you came from a worldly way of thinking. Every single person did. I don't care if they're little. I don't care if they're older. They come from a worldly way of thinking. There is a way that seems right to people. 
logical. The scripture says that. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end of it is death. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think the way you think. I don't have the same values you have. I don't have the same goals you envision. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And in order to be transformed in our thinking, we must come to him with a willingness to have our minds renewed. To think and look at life differently and to begin to allow the Holy Spirit of God to build those new values deeply into our lives. Jesus says, if you hear my words and put them into practice, you are building those values in your life. When you do, and the storms come, you will remain firm. You will not be swept away. You will not be overcome. If you don't, you're going to be swept away in the storm. Now, I have, and this applies to believers as well as unbelievers, because whether or not you know, whether or not you grow and, and, and develop in Christ that to some extent depends on how you yield to the Holy Spirit of God and allow His transformation in your life. And I've seen people when disaster strikes, it can be, it can be job loss, it can be a death, it can be death, you know, death of a child, death of a spouse, uh, it, it can be death of a parent that was an anchor in life. Um, it can be um, a divorce, a tragedy in marriage. It can, there, there's many kinds of things that can happen in your life that are the storms. And oftentimes I get called in that crisis moment and I, I go to those people who are in crisis. And here's what I can tell you. People who have built their house on the sand are swept away. They, they may get through it, but they don't really survive it. They come undone. Their lives get shattered. They become disillusioned. Um, they may act afterwards in strange and bizarre ways. And one of the things that um, underlies so much of that, even if it's never spoken, is why did God let me down? I know I signed up for Christianity, and this is what I got. And, and there's that reaction to that that's kind of underlying it. There's a bitterness, there's an anger that begins to, that begins to smolder with disillusionment. And friends, notice in the story that in both cases the storm came. In both cases there was a flood. Notice that the one who has the foundation stands. They're unshakable. The one who doesn't collapses. 
See, there's not a promise here that there won't be a storm. There's a promise that you will be stable even when life is coming undone around you. That, that it will not overwhelm you. That God himself will raise up a standard. That he will hold you firmly and that you will stand the storm because you have built that foundation. And so I want to ask the question, you know, as we wrap up here this morning, what does this lordship business have to do with salvation? We know that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves it is a gift of God not the result of works that no one should boast Ephesians 2 8 and 9 we can quote that passage and we say my salvation is based on God's grace and that is absolutely true so what about this following Jesus business what about this Lord Lord business what 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 about acting on his words we're not talking here about trying hard we're not talking here about um, embracing uh, the law and trying to keep it because Paul describes people who do that as carnal out of my own strength I'm trying to be a Christian that's not what he's talking about but there is a crucial matter here, and you've heard me say this before, but it's something we need to really, really get in our minds. No one who ever responds to an invitation of salvation was born again because they prayed like this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed you. I need you to forgive me. I accept the payment that you made on the cross for my sin. I, I ask you to cleanse my life. I want to have eternal life. Uh, you, can, you can be my Savior, but please leave me alone between now and the time I die because I want to do everything else I want to do. I want to live as I please, but when I die, I want to go to heaven. No one who ever prayed that way was saved. <laughs> And no one who was ever born again prayed that prayer. We come to Jesus broken and, and convicted and aware of our sin and we turn our lives over to him and we invite him to be Lord and Savior of our lives and we commit ourselves to him. Now, some people get that confused and some people have bad apples that show up on their tree eventually. Some people fail and they make mistakes and, and they sin and there are issues in their life but the question is is there in your heart a yearning for Jesus is he number one in your life do you have a passion for him do you long to follow him do you yearn for the living God do you thirst for him is he the God of your life? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, he said, there are going to be people that come to me at the end. The Gentiles are going to come before me for judgment. And I'm going to say to some of them, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say to me, what do you mean you never knew me? 
And he's going to say, well, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was in prison. You didn't visit me. I was naked. You offered me no clothes. You, you did not respond to my needs. You basically ignored me your whole life. And they're going to say, Lord, you got this all wrong. We preached in your name. We cast out demons. We, we ministered in your name. When did we ever see you naked and blind and hungry and thirsty and in prison? When did we ever see that? And, and I am going to say to them, he says, Inasmuch as you did not do it for the least of these people on the planet, you have not done it to me. Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Not I once knew you. I never knew you. Don't miss in that passage. I've written it down in your notes. Don't miss that they preached in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They ministered in his name. They professed to be Christians. They claimed to be representatives of Jesus Christ. And his statement is, I never knew you. Because in your heart of hearts, you never submitted to me. And had you submitted to me, my life would have been in you. Had you submitted to me, you would have had a heart for the needs of people around you. You would have lived differently. Your life would have been transformed. You would have the evidence of my life in you. It's so important that we see it's not I do in order to get. It's I have, therefore I am. I don't try to keep the rules to get saved. I come to Jesus Christ in full submission. And I am born again by his all-powerful spirit who lives in me. And therefore his life begins to flow out of me. His fruit begins to be seen in me. I begin to follow him with all my heart. I embrace him. I love him. I long to know him. I yearn for him. I want to grow in him because there is a change in my heart. And Jesus said, when you are like that, as you grow, you will be digging that deep foundation that will stand you in good stead, unshakable, immovable, no matter what happens in your life. And so my question to you this morning is, are you just saying to him, Lord, Lord? Or have you embraced his life? And do you follow him with all of your heart? That's the evidence that Jesus Christ is in you. And Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. Check yourself out. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is alive in you? Unless you're not a believer. Do you see the evidence of Christ in your life? Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
minister to our hearts through it. May we be among those people who do not just give you lip service, but who follow you with all of our being. Because you have saved us, and because we do love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.